Hello and thank you for tuning in to a, another edition of Reptile Living Room's Herp Chat. I'm your host, John Taylor, as always. And once again, we are brought to you by Marsha McGinnis and Golden Gate Geckos. Golden Gate Geckos has the finest in captive leopard geckos, African fat tails, Australian species, which is, of course, the Nefuris, as well as the Colonic species. For all your gecko needs, definitely give Marsha a tumble. She's a great lady. Uh, Marsha McGinnis, GoldenGateGeckos.com. Tonight's edition of Herp Chat is Steve Sykes from Geckos Etc. And we actually get uh, down into the genetics of geckos, basically everything about geckos, really. He talks to us about leopard gecko morphs and uh, locality species, just everything about it. Uh, give uh, Steve a tumble, geckosetc.com. If you're over at the uh, ham show this year in Germany, definitely check him out. He's going to be there. And his next uh, show after that, I think, is in San Diego. But without further ado, here's Steve Sykes on Herp Chat with the reptile literature. I guess the best place to start, Steve, would, um, how did you get involved in reptiles in the first place? I've always been interested in, in animals ever since a, a very young age. Um, actually, my, my interest in, in reptiles first started just from a general interest in nature. Um, and, you know, even before I was in uh, nursery school, uh, my mom had me playing with bugs and worms and snails and that kind of stuff in our family garden. And just over time, you know, I, I developed that interest. And, you know, I, I basically, in, in all throughout my life, I've been in just interested in all different groups of animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I've basically kept pretty much everything uh, throughout my life and, you know, gone through different phases as to what my interest has always been. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, well, at least what my interest, you know, my, my, my new animal group that I'm interested in in terms okay. of, you know, such as like, you know, saltwater fish, freshwater fish, you know, I went, is, uh, you know, but, but I mean, I've had reptiles ever since I was four years old and I've, I've kept them ever since. I've always had many reptiles as pets. Wow. You know, when I was young, I was running around catching frogs and, and turtles and, and, uh, snakes and that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh. You know, as I've grown, you know, that interest has always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've literally had reptiles for 31 years now. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Now, um, you're the uh, proud owner of geckos, etc. cetera. Uh, name aside, what type of uh, geckos are you currently working with, Steve? Well, our, our main focus is uh, leopard geckos. Okay. Um I mean, we've been breeding leopard geckos for 15 years now, okay. um, and that's that's where we started. You know, we uh, we basically specialize in breeding all morphs of leopard geckos. Uh, more recently, um, we've branched out into fat tail geckos, oh, wow. um, and we have quite an extensive collection of fat tails now. Uh, we pretty much are working with all the different morphs that are available um, in the fat tail market. Um, we also have a lot of uh, Australian geckos. Um, we've been breeding Australian geckos for nine years now. Wow. Um, and so we have, uh, you know, mainly knobtail geckos. Right. Uh, we, we have Amy Eye, uh, Wheeler Eye, Levis, uh, Levis Pilbarensis, um, Asper, uh, Delaney, and Vertebralis. Wow. I think that covers all of them, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, there's there's other species that we don't have, but we we have all the main ones that are, uh, you know, the, there's there's some that are a little more tricky than others. Okay. Um, and we've 
you know, we haven't uh, delved into those yet, but okay. uh, maybe one of these days we will. Sounds good. Now, as far as um, leopard geckos and African fat tails, um, how do the, I guess, the morphs, where does all this come from and how did it get started? I mean, you know, what are the genetic traits behind all this good stuff and who decides, I guess, would be another way to put it. Okay. What is uh, actually a morph and what's not? <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, I mean, a, a morph, just by definition, is uh, something that is different than normal. Um, you know, so, I mean, if we go back to many, many years ago when, when leopard geckos were just, you know, normals that were being wild caught um, out of Pakistan, mm-hmm. um you know, there were no morphs. It was just a, you know, a yellow gecko with, with black spots on it. Right. Um, in captivity, and, and I guess actually let me, let me speak our general terms. Right. You know, for some species, um, and, you know, we're talking ball pythons, boas, corn snakes, you know, all these things. Some of the, some of the, the morphs are, have been discovered in the wild, and some of them are produced in captivity. Okay. Um, for leopard geckos, I mean, the... The import of leopard geckos has been, uh, I mean, the, many years ago there were there were tons of leopard geckos that were being imported. You know, if you went to your local pet store, um, all the leopard geckos would be wild caught um, out of Pakistan. Certainly today, all the, the leopard geckos in the pet stores are all captive bred. But um, you know, basically. In, in leopard geckos, not, I mean, there's been a couple morphs that have come out of wild-caught stock, mm-hmm. um, especially in Europe, um, like the Ray Hine hypo line was uh, developed out of wild-caught hypos. Okay. Um, but, you know, I mean, some of the first morphs that were, that are, are a specific genetic trait, you know, like a recessive gene. Right. Um, or, I mean, those... Well, so all recessive genes and all dominant genes in leopard geckos have been just flukes that have hatched out in people's collections. You know, it's just a, a very lucky person that hatched the first, you know, Murphy patternless or Tremper albino or uh, Bell albino, you know, blizzard. You know, mm-hmm. those were all produced in captivity. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's leopard gecko breeders in the U.S. that are producing upwards of 100,000 leopard geckos a year just for that one breeder, you know, the large-scale breeders. When you hatch that sort of numbers, you're going to get new mutations that happen. So, I mean, basically, uh, you know, I I guess a good example would be the Mack Snow. You know, that was hatched by John Mack. You know, John Mack, uh, you know, discovered a a very black-and-white gecko in his collection and said, wow, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, decided to keep that one back and use it as a breeder. Um, and basically, I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the Max Snow hatched out of just a group of normals. Um, you know, so it's, it was a mutation that happened in captivity. Hmm. And, you know, you have to be lucky and you just have to be smart enough to say, hmm, this may be something interesting here. Right. Uh, let's hold this back and, and, you know, breed it out and try to prove it out as a genetic trait. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Now, if, um, 
of course, it's pretty much common knowledge now that uh, leopard geckos are temperature sex dependent. So you can, yeah. you know, change the sexes as, you know, by varying the temperature. Now, something else I read in, oh, what is that book called? It was, uh, oh, The Herpeticulture of Leopard Geckos by uh, Devojali. Ron Trumper and, right. and Devojali, yeah. Right. I read something in there that kind of boggled my mind a little bit because I was like, that's interesting. Uh, and correct me if I am wrong. Um, it seemed like they were saying, or one of them was saying anyway, that you could actually change the color to darken or lighten yeah. the pattern by heat? Definitely. Definitely. Um, so all morphs are affected by temperature um, oh. to one extent or the other. Wow. Okay. Um, basically, at, at lower temperatures, um, more melanin is produced. Um, so for the Tremper albino uh, gene in particular, the, the results are quite striking. And you can take... A clutch, uh, you know, two eggs, put one in the hot incubator, you know, and when I say hot incubator, I'm talking 88 degrees, mm-hmm. uh, 88 to 90, um, and you would, you know, at that temperature, you would get males, um, and put the other egg in a cold incubator where you would get all females, um, you know, around 80, 81 degrees, and the the babies will will be quite different when they hatch. Um, the one out of the hot incubator will be white, uh, you know, bright white and pink and yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's at the lower temperature will be brown um, and yellow. Um, so it, it's had a lot more melanin that's been developed, uh, you know, just by being at the low temperature. Now, other morphs, you know, non-albino morphs can also, um, the, the temperature certainly plays a part in their melanin. So, for example, you know, like super hypotangerines, you can make nicer, brighter super hypotangerines by putting them at a higher temperature for a, at least a portion of the incubation period. Right. Um, and that, you know, that'll clean them up. And, and uh, you know, you, I mean, if you've seen like brown hypos, mm-hmm. um, those may be low temperature hypos. Um, that if those eggs were incubated at a higher temperature, those may be nicer, you know, more vibrant orange uh, geckos. Mm-hmm. Now, how many morphs, or is there even a uh, decision on this yet? How many morphs of geckos, or I should say leopard geckos, are there currently? Is there been a cap on it yet? That, you know, <laughs> or like a rough <laughs> estimate that we could say, okay, we have about this many? Well, that's that's tough. Um, I mean, it, you have your base morphs, mm-hmm. um, and let's let's you know lay those out. I yeah. mean, base morphs would be, you know, the recessive genes, and I, you know, who knows, I might forget one here, but right. uh, the, the recessives are the three strains of albino, okay. uh, Murphy patternless, blizzard, um, eclipse, which is the solid eye. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, probably forgetting something. Um, the other genes that we have are uh, dominant genes, and uh, enigma is a dominant gene. Uh, Max Snow is a co-dominant gene. Uh, Tremper Giant is also a co-dominant gene. Um, so basically, with those genes, you can create combination morphs. And, you know, so you could combine any number of genes all together in the same gecko, and you get a different, you know, a different uh, appearance to it. Mm-hmm. So that does qualify as a, as a different morph. Um, 
and I guess, you know, with the giant and the super giant, uh, you know, morphs, you could take any of these other morphs and then make a giant morph and then a super giant morph, and those would be, you know, other morphs as well. So wow. really the, the, the number of different combo morphs out there is, is uh, I, I couldn't even guess. I mean, I right. think there's probably definitely well over 100 uh, morphs and, and with, you know, giant and super giant added in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, there, there's certainly a lot. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> now, who, deci- <laughs> who decides on what is a morph and what's not a morph? Or, you know, is there like a, like a board of inquiry or something that says, you know, okay, we vote this, that, that, yes, this is, you know. Uh, well, that's, that's certainly an interesting question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly, if you're if you're doing a straight uh, combo morph where mm-hmm. you're the first to combine, you know, two different genes or two or three or four or even five different genes together, right. then definitely you've created a new morph. Okay. Um, that's cut and dry. Okay. But we also have line bred genes, which we didn't mention before, and that's basically where, you know, it's it's controlled by a bunch of different genes. There isn't just one particular gene that that controls these traits. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, for that, you're basically, through through many generations of selective breeding, you have altered the appearance, and, you know, at, at some point, you can call it a morph. Um, I think the, the you know, the, the most important thing is really how different does the, this new morph actually look? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a big improvement over... A pr- improvement or a, a change, just a change mm-hmm. um, over what is existing, then uh, you know, then it, it can qualify as a morph. So, right. I mean, typically the people that are are the ones that are coining new morphs are, you know, kind of the the people you would consider to be the top readers. Right. Um, right. And and creating a new morph certainly takes a long time. Right. Um, you know, it's not something that that someone's going to be doing usually within the first couple years of breeding, mm-hmm. you know, cer- and, and certainly for a selectively bred morph. Um, you know, I have a couple of things that I'm working on that, uh, you know, have, have literally taken seven years of selective breeding wow. to, to get something that I'm, I'm pleased with, mm-hmm. you know, that I feel actually deserves a new name and deserves, you know, to be called a new morph. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, line, line breeding is basically where you take uh, some geckos mm-hmm. that display some traits that you find interesting mm-hmm. and breed those and then from their offspring you take the next you take the babies out of that that display those qualities and hopefully even better oh, okay. um, and you, you know it, you take those and, and use those for the next generation of breeders I mean, basically, the, the, best way, the best way to describe line breeding is just to use an example, mm-hmm. and, and super hypotangerine would be the best example for that. Oh, okay. um, you know, super hypotangerines, you know, the, the gecko's, you know, bright orange, no spots on the body, no spots on the, ta- uh, on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them have a lot of uh, orange in the tail, which is called carrot tail. Right, right. Um, basically, that was selectively bred over many, many generations. Um, from high yellows. And, you know, people were breeding high yellows, and they thought, wow, that's cool. There's an orange spot on it. Okay, let's breed that and, 
maybe we can increase that. And, oh, you know, bred okay. two geckos together, and they got a little bit bigger of an orange spot and a little right. bit bigger of an orange spot. And, you know, and, and the intensity of the gecko, you know, increased from yellow to, you know, to orange. And, you know, we're, we're basically on the verge of red right. um, currently with, with the selective breeding that continues with hypos. Wow. And it's, it's actually quite interesting just to look at um, just the progression of hypotangerines even within the last 10 years. Really? You know, I remember being in Daytona uh, in, I think it was probably 2001, um, selling super hypotangerines off someone else's table that were, you know, $900,000, you know, top of the line stuff at the time. Wow. You know, that gecko would probably be you know, a hundred dollars, one hundred and fifty dollars now, because it's, you know, they they've it's it's not as nice in comparison to what we have developed over an additional ten years of selective breeding. Wow, that's amazing. Now, what is your um, what are your thoughts on hybridization as far as reptile breeding is concerned? Um. <sighs> There's definitely two sides to it. Um, okay. I mean, I personally don't have a problem with it as long as the resulting offspring are properly uh, marked um, and and continue to be for many generations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hybridization is is definitely ha- as well. Hybridization in captivity with reptiles has certainly blown out of the water you know, certain conceptions that people have had about what defines a species. And things where, you know, you can breed a a corn snake to a California king snake and, you know, produce a jungle corn. And you can breed a, you know, a pine snake to a corn snake or I guess a bull snake to a corn snake and you get uh, turbo corns and, um, you know, people have bred milk snakes to corn snakes and, um, you know, a whole bunch of other hybrids have been produced in colubrids mm-hmm. that are just, you know, unreal. Right. Um, that that you could hybridize things that are just in, you know, totally different in two separate uh, genera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, we also have a, a conservation um, uh, thing to keep in mind here, mm-hmm. where... Um, where they are, you know, for some of these, we are keeping things that are quite rare and rare in, in captivity and rare in nature. Mm-hmm. And so for those situations, I mean, it certainly is important to to maintain a pure bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you certainly wouldn't want to, uh, you know, hybridize everything that, you know, all breeder lines of a particular species or or you know, subspecies or something like that, mm-hmm. and then 10 years later you go and say, oh, where did all this species go? Oh, well, you know, they've been hybridized into this because they produced this cool, you know, new thing. Right. Um, you know, I guess a good example of that would be um, some of the wild-caught uh, bloodline leopard geckos that I work with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have, have taken those and produced some interesting um, crosses mm-hmm. um, with those. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, certainly think that's, that's cool and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, for me personally, I've done some of the crosses, but I also want to maintain those pure bloodlines so that we don't lose pure, 
you know, Fasciolatus and Montanus and Afghanicus and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 years from now, we can say, where did all the Montanus go? They're all gone. You know, we can never find a pure one anymore. Right. So anyway, you know, I, I kind of see it in that regard that we need to preserve the pure and then it, but it also can be used as a stepping stone to move on to new things. Mm -hmm. um, so. Okay. Now, <clears throat> speaking of Afghanicus and uh, Montanus and the various, um, I guess, subspecies of leopard geckos, um, mm -hmm. how many species of, well, or subspecies, I guess, of leopard gecko are there uh, currently that are recognized? Well, I think the taxonomy is, is changing, um, and I haven't reviewed okay. what the, the current is. Okay. Um, but let's see, subspecies, I mean, as of, as of last I checked, we had Smithi, Macularius, Fasciolatus, Afghanicus, and uh, Montinus. Okay. Um, those, those are subspecies within the Macularius species. Mm -hmm. um, and then in addition to that, um, you know, there's other species of uh, Eublepharis, mm -hmm. and, you know, that is uh, Fuscus, Agrimanu, uh, Hardwickii, um, Turkmenicus, okay. uh, there's got to be another one there. Anyway, it slips, it slips my memory at the moment. Okay, not a problem. Now, um, as far as the Afghanicus and things of that nature, I've started to see more and more people working with those. Is that because they're being produced more or more people are able to get their hands on them or where is that coming from? In your um, opinion? Both, really. I mean, that those those bloodlines all originated in Europe mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they are becoming more common. Um, I think also, you know, people are kind of opening their eyes as, and, and, and finding them interesting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember when I imported some of the first, uh, you know, of the, of the uh, wild-caught bloodlines that I'm working with, mm -hmm. they, weren't, they weren't too popular at the time. Right. And, you know, but since then it's certainly changed and more people are interested in them, more people are, are working with them and, and uh, you know, and breeding them. Okay. Now, um what class? What would uh, classify a locality species? Because I've heard some people say that, oh, they're you know the Afghanicus is just a locality species, or you know this species is just a locality species. What is the? Can you talk a little bit about that? About what what is locality species versus actually being a recognized species? Sure. Well, it it really just depends on what the the science is at that time. Okay. Um, I mean, in order to describe a species or subspecies, I mean, it needs to, it basically needs to be published in a scientific journal, okay. you know, peer-reviewed scientific journal and accepted as uh, good science. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, that probably what you're referring to is, is uh, well, is that some of the science has changed. And I don't, I, I had heard that some of the subspecies are no longer recognized as subspecies anymore oh, okay. um, they may be considered more of a um, geographic uh, variant oh, okay. um, and that would that would be uh, you know a, a kind of a you know the geckos in this area look a bit different but maybe they don't have enough of the 
qualities that would enough qualities that would warrant them being a separate a separate species species or subspecies. Okay, gotcha. So I mean that you know the the subspecies definitely have a different look to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Afghanicus certainly looks quite different than you know the wild caught macularius that I'm working with, and mm -hmm. and certainly any any normals that I've ever produced. You know, I okay. I find it interesting. And even even the the macularius macularius uh, you know uh, geckos that I the wild caught uh, bloodline ones that I work with mm -hmm. um, you know I can open a box and without even looking at the tags on the front identifying you know what morph they are and what uh, what breeding group they came from oh. I can identify those just just by their look you know they definitely have a different look than any you know, of the high yellow, you know, slash normals that I produce mm -hmm. um, in my collection. Man. <laughs> now that's talent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that came from that box over there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, leopard geckos are my life, basically. And, I mean, I'm right. a full-time reptile breeder. You know, I, I, I am just thinking about geckos. Right. So, right. I mean, I can, uh, you know, I know these bloodlines very well. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you know, I can expect you know a lot. I mean, it, it's, it works that way for other morphs too. You know, I can tell different projects as to you know which which group it's from just by looking at the babies. You know, that I may not even have, have ever you know it may have been a while since I'd been seeing those babies. You know, so they may have changed, but I'll I'll know which box they came from in terms of you know which parents. Wow, <laughs> now that is cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just impresses the hell out of me, because I can't even imagine how many geckos you have at, a, at one given time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> wow. Now, um, as far as the morse that you're currently working with, um, are you going to be going to any shows anytime soon, or where would our listeners be able to find you besides the website? And as a matter of fact, uh, why don't you let us know what your website is? Sure, yeah, our website is uh, www.geckosgeckosetc.com. Okay. Um, and uh, I think, actually, I think it's going to be a little while before we have our next reptile show in the U.S. Okay. Um, I guess my next show is in Germany. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to the ham show in March. Oh, okay. Um, well, we do have international well, listeners, I know that. Cause, <laughs> oh, okay. So. If, you sure. got, if we do have some German, uh, German listeners, go to the ham show. And you can see, <laughs> you can see Steve Sykes and pick up some really cool geckos. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think our next show in the U.S. is the uh, Reptile Super Show in um, San Diego. And oh, I think really? That's in Down my neck of the woods. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, any specific morphs that you're going to be bringing to the show this year that uh, we can expect, or is that still in the works? Um, I mean, we, we always bring a, a good selection of morphs, um, okay. to the shows with us. You know, I, I, I remember years ago when we would go to the show, there were certainly a lot fewer morphs to work with. So I could, you know, bring a good number of geckos and, and I'd have basically whatever anyone was looking for. Wow. Um, now there's a lot more morphs that have been developed. Mm -hmm. And so I, I bring enough to fill, you know, two to four tables. Um, at a show, and you know, wow. I still have people coming up and saying, "Oh, do you have a mail of you know this morph?" And I go, "Got it at home, but I just don't have it here." So it, it always it always happens that way now. Sure. That, now that there's so many morphs, but 
you know, for our reptile shows, I try to bring a very good selection of, of all the different morphs that we have available at the time. That's awesome. And just so our listeners know, once again, you can uh, find Steve's uh, online at geckosetc.com. Like you said, he already spelled it out. Um, so appreciate you having on having you on the show, Steve. And we do look forward to uh, having Steve on again very soon, uh, where we are going to do our interview with an expert series. And Steve is going to tell us a little bit about you know how he got involved and uh, what happened you with the reptiles and why he stuck with reptiles and what it's like to spend all day with reptiles. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Steve. Oh, we did have a couple of questions um, okay. in regards to uh, leopard gecko breeding. Uh, one of our listeners okay. has a leopard gecko that no matter what he does, she will constantly lay the eggs over the heat mat or the or uh, I guess the warm side of the enclosure. Okay. How do you get her to quit doing that? Because what's happening is I guess she's laying uh, when he's asleep. And then he wakes up, and the eggs are already gone. So, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> well, it it sounds like she is not happy with the egg box that is currently provided for her. Okay. Um, and I mean, basically, a you know a, a leopard gecko mom has has put a lot of energy into that set of eggs, mm-hmm. and she wants to put it in the you know she wants to lay those eggs in the place that she thinks is going to be prime spot. best suited for those to be. Uh, you know, hatching, um, and, you know, if, if uh, with a behavior like that, that's telling me that, that there's something wrong with the egg box. Okay. Um, so basically what I use for egg boxes, um, I use uh, food storage containers. Um, the one I'm using now is a nine-cup um, uh, Rubbermaid, I guess it's the Easy Find um, mm-hmm. series. Um, okay. Nine... Nine cups? Nine cups, yeah. Nine, I have the sticker on my wall just for when I have to answer that question uh, for, for customers that call me with that. But anyway, um, yeah, I get them at Target, and, you know, that's basically perfect for them. Um, you, you don't want something that's too tall because then the gecko can't get into the box, and I've actually seen that where, you know, if I have a female that's, and it's actually with fat tails, um, some of my fat tail female, females are a little bit small, um, and I've used boxes, you know, this particular box with them, and, and you know, if they don't have a, a way to get up into the box, you know, I've seen them just dump the eggs out in the open because, you know, they need to get them out, and they just haven't found that egg box. Um, but this, so basically the way I set them up is, you know, the, this, this particular box that I'm referring to, um, Easy Find uh, Nine Cup box, um, cut a hole in the top of it, and then inside the box, I use peat moss, um, and it's it's moist. Um, it shouldn't be sopping wet. Um, too wet is, is as bad as too dry. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, probably in this situation, if she's this problematic, um, and if the cage is big enough, I would put two egg boxes in there, put one on the cool side of the cage and one on the warm side of the cage. Oh, okay. um, It's possible that if, if you know, your listeners house temperature is too cool so let's mm-hmm. say he has an egg box that's set up perfectly but it's on the cold side of the cage and his house temperature you know this time of year maybe 65 degrees mm-hmm. that female is going to sense the 65 degree egg box and say whoa okay i know my eggs aren't going to hatch if it's if these eggs are incubating at 65 degrees right. and then she'll say okay i'm going to put them on the warm spot 
Gotcha. So that may be, so she may be looking for a more suitable egg box, or she mm -hmm. just may be looking for a better temperature oh, in her okay. egg box. Oh, very cool. All right. Now, the other question we had was, what's easier to keep, either crested geckos or leopard geckos for a beginner? Okay. Well, I, I have bred crested geckos in the past. Uh, okay. I don't work with them now, but in the past, uh, we had a pretty good collection of crested geckos. Okay. Um, both of them certainly are, are very easy to keep. Um, they have their, definitely have their differences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, leopard geckos are more of a ground-dwelling animal. You know, you can keep them in uh, rack systems or, you know, just a basic aquarium. Um, you know, the, the ground space is more important than any vertical space. Um, leopard geckos need a heat source. Okay. Um, crested geckos need to, definitely need to be kept cooler. Um, if they get above 85 degrees, they get quite uncomfortable. Um, I, I actually had a, uh, an issue happen with my crested geckos where um, the room that I had them in, I had a, a heater, uh, a, a, a temperature spike in there, and basically they got quite uncomfortable, and, and about a third of my collection dropped their tails just out of stress. Oh within, I was just gone for the day, came back and said, whoa, my room's a little bit too warm, and whoa, we got a lot of cr crested gecko tails all over the place. Wow. So uh, leopard geckos are certainly more tolerant of, of uh, higher temperatures, mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, they need to have a heat source. Um, so leopard gecko, you're going to have a heat source. You, know, you want 90 degrees for the temperature on the substrate. Mm -hmm. um, crested geckos, you want more of a arboreal cage okay. um, with plastic, um, or silk plants in there, okay. um, you know, foliage that they can hide in and, and you know, other hiding places, mm -hmm. you know, cork bark, that sort of stuff, okay. uh, stacked against each other works out really well. Oh, very cool. Um, they don't need any heat, which is certainly a benefit. Right. Um, you know, they don't require any electrical input, which is certainly nice with uh, skyrocketing electrical uh, costs. Yeah, no but, kidding. Um, in terms of... Um, in terms of foods, I mean, crested geckos can eat um, crickets, but a, a very important uh, component of their diet is fruit. Mm -hmm. um, back when I was breeding uh, crested geckos, um, we didn't have the special um, prepared powdered diets that we have now, such as the, the rapashi foods, right. uh, superfoods, mm -hmm. which certainly make keeping any of the rachidactylus very easy. You basically just mix up a batch and you can freeze it uh, and then you you know just take out a little cube of it put it on a little dish and you know that's basically a balanced diet for your crested geckos oh wow. that certainly is a, a benefit over leopard geckos you know where where leopard geckos are, are strictly carnivorous mm -hmm. they require um you know live insect prey you know staples being either crickets or mealworms mm -hmm. um but uh, in terms of handling, I think cresteds are a little bit more jumpy than leopard geckos. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, they can team down as well. Oh, okay. um, they're certainly more likely to, to drop their tails than leopard geckos. Oh, but okay. uh, they, they're both, you know, they're both fascinating animals. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the uh, first time I saw a crested gecko. You know, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's an amazing animal. Uh, and, you know, so I, shortly after seeing them, you know, the next day I bought about a dozen of them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> jump in with both feet, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, once again, uh, for our listeners, you can find Steve uh, over at geckosetc.com. You can see him at the Ham Show if you happen to be in Germany this year. And you can find him at the San Diego Show, which is coming up in June, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, okay. I believe so. Okay. There's a list of all the shows that we will be vending at um, on our website. Oh, very cool. And, of course, always uh, come back, you know, wait for uh, Steve to come back on the show with uh, the interview with an expert series. And he's going to join us on that uh, sometime hopefully soon, um, possibly after he gets back from doing some of the shows and stuff like that. But uh, once again, Steve, we appreciate you being on the show and uh, look forward to speaking with you in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Steve Sykes from Geckos Etc. Once again, give Steve Tumble at geckosetc.com. It's G-E-C-K-O-S-E-T-C.com. Once again, we are brought to you by the fabulous Marshall McGinnis from Golden Gate Geckos for all of your captive needs in regards to African fat-tailed leopard, nephurus, as well as the colonic species. Give Marsha a tumble over at Marshall McGinnis at goldengategeckos.com. Once again, that website, goldengategeckos.com. Give her a tumble, guys. I'm not kidding. She has some fabulous species over there just waiting to come home to you and be your new gecko pet. And, of course, as always, we do ask that you uh, drop some comments on the blog at uh, reptilelivingroom.com, as well as uh, check us out on iTunes. There's a lot of uh, shows up there. That in case you missed some of the shows uh, prior to this one, there are some shows over there that uh, would be of interest to you, I'm sure. Uh, give us some ratings on iTunes. Leave some comments on iTunes. Tell us what you think. Tell us what we're doing right, please. And, of course, as always, refer us to a friend. If you really like what we're doing, definitely refer us to a friend. And we thank you for tuning in to Reptile Living Room's Herp Chat. <laughs>